morning. A real privilege for me to be able to uh, share the Word of God with you this morning. But I've got to say, what a privilege for me to be able to share the Word of God with you after three baptisms and three testimonies like that. I consider it a privilege to be able to follow up and just uh, point you to the Word. We've been going through the book of Philippians, and uh, Pastor Rusty has been guiding us through chapter 1. We've covered the first 26 verses, and this morning we're going to look at uh, the last four verses of chapter 1. You have a copy of the Word of God, whether it's electronic or the old paper copy, uh, like I do. Uh, feel free to turn there. Joy. The topic has been joy. True joy. Not the joy that comes with the Blue Bombers winning this Grey Cup, which didn't happen this year. Uh, and it's not uh, joy that's built on maybe a special event that occurs in the family. I'm looking forward to the joy of family gatherings at Christmas. But the next day, everybody's gone home again. They are wonderful times, and we look forward to it. But there is joy that goes beyond that. And I think we've already had a, a good background to that just by hearing the testimonies this morning. Some of them have been tough, isn't it? It's been tough. It's been hard to hear. And, and, and our hearts have been just moved. I could just feel it. Everybody's heart was just going to these gentlemen as they shared their testimony. Well, I'd like to go to a passage today that continues on, on the theme of joy. I think it's about joy. You know, the word joy isn't going to be mentioned in these verses as it was in the past in chapter 1. There is a mention of joy quite often. But I do believe that actually uh, the Apostle Paul who, guided by the Spirit, wrote uh, this letter to the Philippians, I think that he is continuing the theme of joy. And this time we're going to find that there's joy in being attached to the great and wonderful gospel of Christ. There is joy in a manner worthy, and there is joy in living in a manner worthy of the gospel. It's found in Philippians 1, 27 to 30. And uh, I'm just going to read it. Uh, it'll show up on the screen, and we're just going to read it. So if you want to, you can follow on the screen, and then if you have a copy, uh, you can make reference to it as we go through and talk about it. Here's how it goes. Whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in uh, one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, 
not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. For it, uh, okay, there it is. Sorry, I missed that. <laughs> I was going on and there wasn't another verse. Okay, that's the verses that we're going to look at today. The most important phrase that comes through in this passage is found right at the very beginning. He says this, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, actually, the term that's used there is live as a good citizen. Now, that seems rather strange, but actually, if you know the context of Philippi, the, the place where these Christians were, it all makes sense. Because what happens in Philippi, we have a very unique situation. Philippi is a city that was found in the area of Macedonia, the province of Macedonia, back during the time of the early church. And Macedonia, of course, was the area in which the Greek empire actually began to expand. Uh, you have, and, but the Greek empire was before Christ. It was many years before Christ. The Greek empire was taken over by the Romans and became the Roman empire. And when the Romans established these different territories and took over these different territories, in order to maintain control over some of these areas, they actually established garrisons, areas, and they would actually, in some cases, establish a whole city and set up a city. Philippi was a Roman city in a Greek province. Many people who lived in Philippi actually had the privilege of being Roman citizens. Not everybody was a Roman citizen in the Roman Empire. There were only certain ones who had it, but they had special privileges if they were Roman citizens. As a matter of fact, if you follow the story of Paul, you find that he actually suffered a lot of persecution. There were people who persecuted him. And one of the things that actually uh, God used to actually end up taking him to Rome was that one particular situation, actually it was a number of situations, he actually flashed his Roman citizen card. Didn't have a card back then, but you know what I mean. And in the process, they said, oh, we got to treat you differently because you're a Roman citizen. There was a special privilege attached to being a Roman citizen. As a matter of fact, it was so important that in the city of Philippi, they boasted of being Roman citizens. Special privileges of being a Roman citizen. And I believe that's the context that Paul is actually using here when he's writing to these people who were living in a, system, in a city where many people thought they had special privileges over other people living around them. And he says, I want to tell you something. You're a citizen of an even greater place. But that citizenship comes with responsibilities. It also has privileges, but it has responsibilities. So I think what he's really saying is, I want you to live as people 
who are good citizens affiliated with the gospel of Christ. In other words, I want you to be good citizens of the kingdom of God. And that's a standard that's above even being a Roman citizen. I want to take a moment just to think. So what does it mean for us? What are the expectations for us and the privileges that we have as citizens of the kingdom of God? Now, one of the first things that I want to emphasize that in some ways we wouldn't see it as a privilege, but it is an expectation, is that we, um, that we basically, we live under a new standard of morality. We live under a new standard of morality. Now, the reason I want to mention that, and it actually came out in some of the testimony that we heard this morning, is that the tendency that people think today about morality is good behavior. You live good. You do, you do that which is good and right, and you turn away from that which is wrong. Good behavior. But you know, if you follow the life of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus, you find that Jesus burst through that and said, there's something more. There's something more. On the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of the sermons that Jesus gave, he gave it to his disciples. Some of you know that story. It's found in Matthew, and uh, it actually is in Matthew 5 and 6. Wonderful discourse that Jesus gave. He has some words in there that just blow this whole thing wide open because morality is often seen as good behavior, right behavior. So let's look at a few verses. I've I've printed them out here. For example, let's just read this. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder. Right? Right. It's found in the Ten Commandments. Jesus says, But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister be subject to judgment. He's saying, I'm going behind the behavior and speaking about the attitude, the motivation. Jesus was moving it further. He was upping the expectation. Let's go to the next one. You've heard, it said, uh, you've heard that it was said you should not commit adultery. Well, we've all heard that. We know that. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what's Jesus saying? Jesus saying, for those who are followers of the kingdom, for those who are citizens of the kingdom, there's a higher expectation. It's not just behavior. It's attitude. It's motivation. He goes on another example. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows that you have made. So in the Old Testament, the the implication was you, you made a vow, you appealed to God in that vow, you better do it. You better do it. Well, it makes sense. You're calling God. You should. And then Jesus says, do not swear an oath at all. Ooh, he's going beyond that. Because he goes on to say, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. 
Your life should be so certain with yes and no. You don't have to appeal to God. You don't have to appeal to some other authority. He's saying it needs to be real in your heart. And what you say is what you mean. That's what you do. So it seems like the standard of being a citizen of the kingdom goes way beyond just having correct behavior. Jesus is saying it has to do with your attitude. It has to do even with your motivation. Now that kind of eliminates hypocrisy. And that's what the church is often criticized of being, isn't it? We're often criticized of hypocrisy. We behave one way, but behind the scenes, we have a different attitude towards it. Jesus says, I want my citizens, the citizens of my kingdom, to realize that I'm talking about your whole life. Well, thanks, Howard. That really encourages me. I already felt bad enough that I wasn't performing well enough, and now you're telling me it has to go even higher than that because that's only part of the story. Now I want to talk about the privileges. Living and conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel also means we are to live as people of grace. This is the next point. It's grace that is the foundation of our life. It's the grace of God and what He has done. Because we acknowledge we can't do it. We can't even have the right behavior, let alone having the right attitude or the right motivation. And that's what it means. When these men took a stand as they did, they were acknowledging. It's not performing. But Rusty emphasized when he spoke there, it's not performing. It's recognizing what Christ has done. And he's done it by his grace. I just want to read you, this is a passage that I, I just love reading and I, want, I just keep going back over this because I, I need to hear it. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. All three of these different men had a different background, but they were all qualified for God's grace. Their hearts were open. They acknowledged their sin. They acknowledged their need of him. And God graciously responded. But it wasn't just God's grace that saved them. He goes on to say, grace also teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Grace helps us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. Our whole life is enveloped by grace. God's grace in your life. And you know, as we are enveloped in the grace of God in our lives, we are therefore able to respond to others in grace. So it's all surrounded by grace. The grace of God poured out on our lives, and then through it, 
through us, it flows out to others. We're able to actually be gracious people because we recognize the grace of God in our lives. That's one of the privileges of being a citizen of the kingdom. Second privilege that I mentioned is he says we are to live, or I haven't put it this way, we're to live as people possessed by God himself. One of the greatest gifts that God has given to us is himself, God the Spirit. When these men came to the point of placing their trust in Jesus' grace, the grace of Jesus alone, the Bible says the Spirit of God came on them. And they are now possessed by the Spirit of God. So are you, if you are a believer. You have God's presence in your life. And because of that, God gives you the ability to live for Him. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 puts it this way, very simply. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and by his own goodness. God's grace has been poured out on us and God's presence is with us. His power that enables us to live a life worthy of the gospel. And that's what Paul is saying. And Paul is saying as a result of that, there is joy. Joy comes from living in a way that's worthy of the glory of Christ. We used to sing a song. Uh, it was a hymn, and I found the origin of it. It was actually written quite early for most hymns, 1951. Um, which still feels kind of old because a little older than I am. Uh, but it's, it's written by Oswald Smith that we used to sing. Some of you likely have heard it. There is joy in serving Jesus as I journey on my way, joy that fills a heart with praises every hour and every day. There is joy in serving Jesus, joy that triumphs over pain, fills my heart with heaven's music till I join the glad refrain. Reframe. There is joy in serving Jesus as I walk alone with God. Tis the joy of Christ my Savior, who the, the path of suffering trod. There is joy, joy, joy in serving Jesus, joy that throbs within my heart every moment, every hour, as I draw upon his power. There is joy, joy, joy that never shall depart. There is joy in serving Jesus because we have such a wonderful citizenship that's ours by God's grace. That's all nice. But Paul, in closing, says there's a couple of ramifications and I'm just going to share with you two consequences of being a citizen of the kingdom. 
And the first one, he says, is you're going to face opposition. You're going to face opposition. I'm just going to read again what he says about that back in Philippians. Listen carefully. Then when I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And as was mentioned even here this morning, Paul mentioned, because he experienced it in his life, and so did the Philippian church. They experienced it in their city, opposition. And if you're a citizen of the kingdom, you're going to face opposition. And Paul says, I just got to let you know it's coming. It's going to continue to be there. But he says, this is what you got to do. You got to stand firm and you got to strive together in one spirit. So as believers, we're all citizens of the kingdom and we have the privilege of walking through this life together, but we need to stay together and strive together, stand firm, because we will encounter opposition. And then he goes on to say, not being frightened by the opposition. And that word frightened is actually a very strong word of fear. It's actually a word that's used of a horse who in one way or another, possibly you're riding a horse and maybe they're, they're, um, they're walking somewhere, maybe in the bushes, and all of a sudden an animal jumps out just in front of them. And a horse, you know what a horse does when it's frightened, up on its back legs. That kind of a reaction, that's what that word is. Or possibly something that we're more familiar with. You're, you're crossing around here. It seems like they're all around here. You've got to be careful of deer because what happens? Well, there's a deer come out in front of you and a deer looks at your car paralyzed by the light. That's the kind of thing. Opposition that actually throws us out of gear. He says, not being frightened by it. Recognizing that op uh, opposition will happen, but because we are citizens of the kingdom, we can join together and keep striving together. And then he talks, the final thing he talks about is not only opposition, but he goes on to say this, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Now that's a subject that we don't often like to talk about. I think about what's my view to suffering? And I have to admit, I do my best to avoid it. I do my best to avoid it. And what Paul seems to be saying here, it should not be our primary concern to avoid suffering. He actually goes on to say here, just by the terminology that he uses, he actually says, Christ has given you two gifts. 
First of all, faith to believe in him, and we can all say amen to that real quick. We've, we've heard that so many times. Faith to believe him, but he also says, he's given you the gift to suffer for him. But you know, because we are citizens of the grace of God, we experience the grace of God, we experience God himself in us by his Holy Spirit. He's saying we can approach suffering, not with seeking to avoid it, but understanding that we can go through it and that God actually gives us. There's many purposes. We don't have time to go through the purposes of the reason for suffering that happens in our lives. But the scriptures tell us that suffering actually produces something in our lives. And so we can move ahead despite suffering that may come our way. I'm reminded of the early disciples after the uh, Pentecost, after the day of Pentecost. They were actually preaching and they were opposed and they experienced suffering of the authorities who didn't want them to be able to be preaching about Jesus. It was disturbing the crowds. They were upset with them. And through different circumstances, though, instead of throwing them into prison and keeping them in prison or even killing them, they actually let them go. And it says that as they were let go, they rejoiced because they had been considered worthy of suffering for the name, the name of Jesus. When you're a citizen of the kingdom, you can do that. We are privileged to be citizens of the kingdom. And so Paul says to the Philippians, as he would say to us, I want you to conduct yourself, live your lives in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. It's worth it all. Because of all that God has done for you, and what that citizen card means, we can continue to live for him and actually have joy in the midst of it. We may experience opposition. We may experience suffering. But we belong to the king. And there's great things in store for us now and for the future. You know, someone has said the Christian life is very difficult. I would go so far as to say the Christian life is actually impossible to live on our own. But because of what God has done for us, it is possible. And so as we've heard the testimony of these three men this morning, who have testified to the grace of God in their lives, we join with them in saying, Praise God for what God has done in your life. Let us continue to walk in a manner that's worthy of what Christ has done for us. Remembering God's grace and God's power in our lives despite opposition, despite suffering. We carry on for Him. If you've never come to the point where you can say, I'm a citizen of the kingdom, 
You haven't placed your faith and trust in Jesus. Through the testimonies that we have heard and through the word of God that has been shared, I encourage you to come by faith and give your life to Jesus. Acknowledge your need of him, your need of forgiveness, your need for him to take over your life and give it to him and become a citizen of the kingdom. And then for those of you that may be going through experiences, maybe suffering opposition, different kinds of things you're experiencing, I want to encourage you. We are citizens of the kingdom. And our challenge is let's, let's make the best of our citizenship right. And let's serve our Lord faithfully. There is joy in serving Jesus because of what he's done for us. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you so much for the scriptures. Thank you for the word that, we have, that we've read here. Thank you for what Christ has done, and we also thank you for how it's been emphasized again by the testimonies we've heard today. And Lord, I just would pray that you would encourage those that are discouraged today. I would pray for those, Lord, who are ready to throw in the towel. Just remind them of who they are in Christ. And then help us all, Lord, that we might be mindful of our citizenship and help us to live it out in a way that brings glory and honor to Jesus our Lord. Amen.